Hello, and welcome to Capital Compass. We are the official podcast of the New York State Catholic Conference. I'm your host, Jillian. Today, in episode 14, I'll be talking with Dr. Thomas Carroll, a general internal and palliative care doctor and associate professor of medicine at the University of Rochester about doctor-assisted suicide. Throughout the 2022 legislative session, we are giving you updates on what is happening in Albany. Without further ado, here is your Legislative Minute. Welcome to the Legislative Minute. I'm here with Dennis Paust, Executive Director of the New York State Catholic Conference. Today, recording the Legislative Minute It is Monday, April 11th, 2022. Dennis, can you tell us what's been happening in Albany recently? Thanks, Jillian. Well, we've been talking about the state budget for the last few episodes uh, of uh, our legislative minute, and the state finally passed that budget a week late on April 8th. Uh, It all got done, and we have a lot to talk about, so maybe we'll spread this over a couple of weeks. But this week, I really wanted to point out how well our schools, our Catholic schools, have done uh, in this year's budget. And for that, we're grateful to Governor Hochul, who spearheaded uh, some of these increases, and for the legislature, too, for going along with it. Uh, So in the budget, they have tripled the funding for non-public safety equipment from $15 to $45 million. That's for health and safety and security needs. But also, and this is critical, we can now also use those funds for capital needs uh, for secular uses. Say if you need a new boiler or air filtration or, or a new roof on your school you could apply for grants from the state now to, to cover that. STEM funding uh, for our schools increased nearly 40% to $58 million. That's a huge increase, and it has really benefited uh, our Catholic schools, mostly our Catholic high schools, uh, where the, the, the teachers uh, tend to teach specific subjects. If you teach religion, you're not eligible. So the elementary schools don't do as well, but the high schools have, have really, uh, that's been a good uh, funding stream for them. And finally, uh, this is something we've been seeking. You know, we received a lot, millions and millions of dollars of federal aid for COVID relief, but a lot of that money has not been able to be allocated uh, yet, and some of it is still sitting there. So we got language in the budget that says if that money isn't spent soon, it will revert to the governor so she could use it uh, as part of her emergency COVID relief funding, and she is committed to using all of those unspent funds for non-public schools. Uh, So our schools will get another bite at the apple to get some of that COVID relief they so desperately need. So really a good budget, really a tremendous budget for our schools this year. We have more to talk about, uh, and we'll do that next time. And that was your Legislative Minute. Thank you so much, Dennis. And we'll be right back after a brief message. Are you interested in staying up to date with New York State legislation pertinent to the Catholic Church? Do you want your Catholic voice to be heard? Sign up for the Catholic Action Network by going to our website at nyscatholic.org slash action dash center or texting can to 50457. Again, can, C-A-N, to 50457. And we're back. I'm here with Dr. Thomas Carroll. He's an associate professor of medicine at the University of Rochester. He practices both general internal medicine and palliative care in the office and hospital settings. Dr. Carroll also directs the advanced communication training 
or ACT program, which seeks to improve patient care, supporting communication excellence among individual clinicians and clinical teams. His interests include communication training, medical education at all stages of training, and Catholic bioethics. He's also a member of the Catholic Medical Association. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess to dive right in here, you are here to talk about doctor-assisted suicide. So can you explain to our listeners what is doctor-assisted suicide, or as advocates call it, medical aid in dying? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So it's it's something that's developed over the past number of decades, I guess. It's come more into, uh, I guess, uh, accepted clinical practice in many parts of the country and in, in the world, for that matter. Um, and yeah, so doctor-assisted suicide is where someone decides that they want their life to end, and a physician or a nurse practitioner, doctor, somebody can write a prescription where it's legal um, that is a lethal prescription of medication. That person then decide the patient themselves decides when to ingest this medication with the intent with the intention to die. What what do you think motivates patients to seek such an extreme measure? Yeah, you know, it's it's actually that we have some pretty, I think, robust data, some information from Oregon where this has been legal the longest. Um, I think it goes back to 1998, their data uh, do. And um, as part of the process, when somebody wants to go through this, uh, go through with this process, they have to answer some questions, check off boxes. And so they can check off as many of these boxes as they want. Um, And there are a number of things that, that sort of sift to the top of the reasons why people do this. Number one, at least on the, you know, these, these data were published in 2016, um, number one is losing autonomy, right? The, the, the fear of being dependent on others. 91% of people checked off that box. Others include less able to enjoy activities that make life enjoyable. 89% of people said that. Loss of dignity, kind of whatever that means to a person, 68%. Losing control of bodily functions, about half, half the people. Being a burden, just a little less than half. And then interestingly, pain is only noted by 25% of people, only one in four people actually check that box that pain is a, is a major concern of theirs. So, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the stuff that comes out around this, a lot of the sort of way to sell it, if you will, is, is to relieve pain and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and that's kind of not what people are worried about. They're, they're worried more about being a burden and losing um, the sense of control in their life. Now, um, I know some states, you have to be terminally, or like some states and even some countries, um, to for it to be legal, you have to be terminally ill. So do you know what that... Um... That defin- uh, quote unquote definition is? Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, yes. When that's a requirement, and this is a moving target because it keeps changing um, in, in different places, but yeah, usually terminally ill means within six months uh, expected uh, survival. So if some, somebody's likely to die in the next six months, and they get that really from, they, they sort of borrow, if you will, that, that definition from uh, the, the hospice uh, criteria usually. How, like, I guess, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about this. So with, with, with like reports, support showing that the medical community for doctor assisted suicide and everything so few doctors actually sign up for you know quote unquote sign up mm-hmm. to write the prescriptions so like why is that yeah it's really amazing you know in, in Oregon I think it was it's just a small handful of of doctors that sign up to, to actually do this in in Washington DC when it became legal I think there were zero like there, there just wasn't available and I, I gotta tell you I think it's it's this it's this difference between saying well you know I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to try to impose my morals, let's say people think on somebody else, but I don't want to do it. And I think it really speaks to that sense of wrongness. I think people still have this gut feeling. This is not medicine. 
in my opinion, I agree with that. It's not. Um, and, and I think that's that where that sort of discordance comes from, I think. So when we talk about, or when, you know, when you think about Dr. Sissa's suicide, one of the first things that comes to mind, um, as we briefly went over earlier, is the patient must be in pain or feel, or, um, you know, in fear of pain. So from a clinical standpoint, uh, you know, is that really accurate? And also like, what are, are, you know, aren't there other ways for pain to be mitigated? Yeah, absolutely. And, and even the, the um, advocates of, of doctor-assisted suicide will, will agree, you know, that, that we can generally treat pain. Um, I think that the trouble for folks, for patients becomes that what's the, if you will, what's the cost of treating that pain? I, and I don't mean dollars. I mean, the, the stuff that comes along with that, uh, whether it's side effects or, or, or whatever it might be. But again, it, it's really, really where the rubber meets the road. It's not about pain as often as many people think it is. It's more about that sense of autonomy control over life that really is the thing I think that drives this. People don't want to be a burden is a, is a, is a big thing. What are other alternatives? This is, you know, I, it's hard. It's kind of, I feel, you know, yeah. it's, it's not abortion. It's not like, you know, you can get adopted with abortion, you know, and other things like that. So it's kind of like, I guess, if somebody's thinking about it, you know, what are the other things they can think about, I guess? You know, in some sense, it is similar to abortion. You, you, that, that person, that, that woman who's, who's pregnant, thinking about abortion, still has to go through the pregnancy, still has to give birth, and, and still has to, you know, have, have support to do that, right? It's almost impossible to do it alone. Certainly people do and can in some sense, but, but doing it with support is, is really an important thing. And the same thing is true at the other end of life, towards the end of life. Um, you know, we say it all the time, at least I do, I, <laughs> the patients that it's almost no one person can be the sole caregiver for one other person who is ill, right? You need help. You need multiple family members, maybe people from outside, you know, whether they're professionals or otherwise. And so I think really the, the answer, it's not, the answer is not more morphine, let's say. that it, It's not a pill, right? And that, that's so often what we're looking for in this society of ours. And medicine responds to that, right? We're very, very good at writing prescriptions, um, both as, as a medical profession, but also a society accepting that. Um, we're much, much more challenged when it comes to actually caring for people, right? And having enough human power to care for the person who needs the care. And I think what we find out is, is whether it's traditionally thought of, you know, suicidal kind of thoughts sometimes, or an interest in this, in this uh, physician-assisted suicide kind of thing, or doctor-assisted suicide, um, a lot of that can be alleviated by um, a sense of support. And, and so truly having support around and knowing that people will care for you. It's, that doesn't get around the trouble of not wanting to be a burden. But I think that the way to address that is to really talk about, let's get out in the open what burden means. We spend an awful lot of time, I think, as families. I see this in my patients and their families. Um, the patient is spending a lot of time and effort thinking, I don't want to be a burden. The family's spending a lot of time and effort thinking, but we want to care for you. It's not a burden, right? And getting those two, those two talking to each other in this particular way, I think is really valuable um, to recognize that, that, um, you know, that, that giving care is giving a gift, but also receiving care is to some extent, and in some sense, giving a gift. It's giving a gift to those people who love you and letting them take care of you rather than just sort of, if you will, pulling the plug in this way and actively killing yourself. Um, I think that leaves a lot of scars that, that are not as recognized as they probably should be. Yeah. Now, because you work with patients, have you encountered patients asking about Dr. Sissa's suicide in your practice? Yeah, yes. Um, probably not as much as if it were legal, I suspect. You know, people would come asking specifically for this legal thing if it were legal in New York. Um, fortunately, it's not, of course. Um, 
but yeah, the, 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 the phrase, I guess, that gets used is, quote, um, request to hasten death is kind of the way that, that gets talked about in the medical world. And, and you can imagine that being um, uh, people thinking about that in multiple different ways, you know, all the way from what we would call euthanasia, which is that rather than the patient ingesting the, uh, the, the, the ultimately deadly thing, it's rather like a doctor or somebody pushing the plunger, if you will. Um, all the way, you know, to the other end of the spectrum, like, hey, you know, when the time comes, can I just have a little extra? So maybe it just goes easier. Um, and, and yeah, so people, people had that feeling like, I just want to be done. I want, I want out. Um, you know, one of the things that heart-wrenching things that people really, I hear people say is, you know, we treat our dogs better than this, right? And what they're alluding to oftentimes is we'll put our dogs down when they're suffering, but we won't quote, put that patient down, mm-hmm. you know, we won't. Um, and I, I think that just ultimately that misses the difference, right? Between animals and humans, right? Yeah. The, the inherent human dignity, obviously. So yeah, people do certainly ask that question. And, and there's really a lot of good medical literature around how do you respond to that? And basically what shakes out is we, we hear, we listen, we acknowledge, we say, you're obviously in distress. How can we help? And oftentimes just that, how can we help? And then following through with helping as best we can, will make that, that fear that's driving that desire to end things dissipate. Not always, but, but enough that it's it's certainly um, encouraging that it does work. So, you know, obviously as Catholics, of course, you're part of the Catholic Medical Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't believe in Dr. Assis's suicide, but in a society where like, you know, marketing is everything and your choice mm-hmm. of words kind of is a make or break. What are your thoughts on the language constantly being changed to quote unquote, advertise this issue? You know, for example, some have rebranded it from Dr. Assis's suicide to physician-assisted suicide to medical aid and uh, medical assistance in dying, you know, all these different mm-hmm. kind of uh, wordings of the uh, ultimate action. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think that's exactly, when I mean, you hit it exactly right, that it, it is about branding, it's about selling, it's about not offending people's sensibilities, right? This has been studied in terms of the acceptability of these different terms. And if you put the word suicide in there, people are less likely to agree with this thing being a good thing. Whereas if you say medical aid or medical assistance in dying, doesn't that sound nice? And the trouble is for me, um, totally, if you just take the moral thing out of it just for a second and just look at what, what do we, in medicine, we tend to rename things to make them more specific. In this case, we're renaming them to make them less specific, right? I, as someone who would never take part in physician assisted suicide or however you want to call it or euthanasia, whatever, I assist people in dying all the time, right? I help them as they die. So it sounds like that medical assistance in dying would apply to what I do, right? It's a very general term on purpose, I think. But it's, it's the, exactly the opposite of what we generally do in medicine, right? We usually rename things to make them more specific. And the most specific thing is doctor-assisted suicide, because that's what we're doing, right? And people yeah. disagree with me because they don't like using the term. But it really comes down to do you agree with it morally or not, depending on, we'll determine, you know, which, which, of, these, which of these terms you like. For what it's worth, I, I ran into um, a thing in Italy that recently there was some some uh, you know back and forth legally in Italy about whether this this kind of thing should be legal, and in Italy the, the legal term for this is homicide of the consenting, which I thought really was like really in your face, right? I was like, man, if we had to use that term, I suspect we'd have some 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 different uh, some different selling points here. But yeah, that, I mean the, the language is really really important, and so I, I think it's important that we we stick to what I think is accurate and descriptive terms. You know, you mentioned euthanasia, and obviously we're talking about doctor-assisted suicide, but can you kind of tell listeners that, you know, differentiate maybe somebody who is 
in the hospital who's like brain dead, kind of the different, you know, because I feel like sometimes mm. people question, you know, and kind of, I guess, more blurred lines in that sense. So you're wondering, uh, you know, as someone approaches the end of their life, what would qualify as this thing that is not okay yeah. versus more, uh, you know, from the Catholic standpoint, more acceptable end of life kind of interventions. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it, there, there's a principle of uh, that's called the principle of double, double effect, right? Which is worth Googling that anybody can go and just, you know, just look up the principle of double effect. Uh, Thomas Aquinas actually is one, one that developed, uh, you know, took part in developing it and of course others. Um, but ultimately it, it really, it comes down to intent and proportionality, right? Like how intense of an intervention, that proportion, that proportional um, aspect to it. So if my intent is not to end this person's life, but rather to relieve their suffering, good. Yep. <laughs> okay. That's the first question. Um, and then, you know, if, and then I have to do things that are reasonable, right? So I can't give some un unreasonable dose of medicine or whatever. Um, and so they, so oftentimes what people feel like, um, especially people who are very much against something like doctor assisted suicide, they'll worry that, you know, taking this person who, as you say, brain dead, you know, that sort of colloquial term, right? Brain dead, the person who's going to die without the ventilator, let's say without the breathing machine, yep. stopping that ventilator sometimes feels like, I'm killing them. And the Catholic teaching would be actually, we're not killing them. We're simply, we're simply recognizing that there's no more we can reasonably do to help this person. And so we're going to stop these interventions. And then the thing that actually takes their life is the disease. And that's the really important distinction is what's the thing ultimately that causes that person's death. If it is the disease and we've simply recognized that we can't help anymore, that's the, the, the catechism, the Catholic church explicitly says that is okay, right? That is acceptable. If, on the other hand, it is a, an active, um, uh, an, an action with the intent to end someone's life, whether the doctor pushes the plunger or the patient takes the pills, that is not okay. And that's the really important distinction to make with the understanding that this is really hard, right? When you're in the midst of this, somebody you love is dying, it never feels good. It will always be difficult. And quite honestly, we should struggle with these things and we should question and we should reach out for help. We should not do this alone. And even if we do the right thing, it still may not feel good. But just we need to be aware that there are, you know, as with really all Catholic teaching, there are these guardrails to keep us safe, if you will. But within those guardrails, there's a lot of variability about when and how and the details. And I think part of the, the message I always, one part of the message I always want to get across is there's not just one right answer, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's, there are a whole bunch of really wrong answers. But within those, that realm of reasonableness and, and morally okay answers, there can be variability one person to the next and it can be okay. So I think it takes the pressure off us a little bit to get just exactly the right answer, but recognize that we got to get not the wrong answer and then something that's reasonable. Backtracking a little bit, uh, you mentioned Oregon a few times. So mm -hmm. for those who don't know, the state of Oregon, as um, literally I was just reading a, an article on the Hill that was published March 29th. Um, and so the state of Oregon now will no longer require people to be residents of the state to use its law, allowing terminally ill people to die via doctor assisted suicide or whatever you want to call it. Um, so like, obviously in New York, it's not legal, but can you just tell our listeners why we should be wary of it, even though it's a different state and like how it affects states that don't have it? 
Yes. Um, so, so this is, this is a question that comes into the the legal realm. So please take it with a grain of salt. I'm a physician, not a lawyer. But my understanding of of, of what's been happening is there there is this residency requirement. I believe it was like you had to live for six months in Oregon or something to become an, an official state resident. And famously, Brittany Maynard, I believe was her name, moved from California, I believe it was to Oregon or, or the, um, the the state uh, the state anyway. Um, to uh, to take advantage of this this assisted you know death thing uh, suicide thing and she in fact then did do it and I, I believe actually died um, and so the the legal challenge has been that that's unconstitutional right that we can't restrict this based on residency status or whatever so there is no longer a residency requirement in Oregon and now of course the pro doctor um, assisted suicide groups are 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 um, strongly encouraging the other states so they don't have to go through this painful legal process why don't you just go ahead and do it. Um, the trouble is that I don't think there's even, not only is there not a uh, residency requirement, I don't think there's a physical location requirement, requirement that I can tell. So it's at least in theory possible that a physician in Oregon could do telemedicine by video, the patient in New York State could ship them, you know, do their whatever evaluation they think is, is required by the law, which is arguable in terms of how much there really is, and then have the medicine shipped from Oregon to the person's address in New York State, and then that person could, you know, commit commit the final act, the suicide in New York State. And so, if all of that is true, then it very much could um, essentially, uh, if you will, nationalize um, assisted suicide um, in a way that that we hadn't seen before. So it's it's something that um, pro life people should maybe watch and look into, um, just because it's something that. Although again, it just in Oregon right now, it can really affect everybody else. Yeah, I think it's something to really to be aware of. Um, yeah, and particularly if, if we're in a position, any of us is in a position to support people who are ill and might be thinking about something like this. I mean, we should always be supporting them, yeah. but this is yet one more thing to kind of be on our minds just to be aware of, yeah. What would you say to a pro-life Catholic um, who wants to positively defend Catholic end of life teaching in like a very secular world. Yeah, that, that is always a challenge because we're sort of agreeing to to the terms of the conflict, if you will, <laughs> right? that, that don't really also always support our our um, our stance. Um, it, it's hard because it, at the end of the day, um, the basis, my non-theologian understanding, right? The basis of all of this is the fact that I was created as a unique creation in God's image. And I, the way, I love the way the catechism puts it. I, I, I don't have this memorized, I promise you, but it, it, I have it right in front of me. It's uh, paragraph two, uh, 2280. Um, you know, we're obliged to accept life gratefully and so on. You know, everyone's responsible for his own life before God. And then quote, we are stewards, not owners of the life God has entrusted it to us. It is not ours to dispose of, close quote, right? That, that to me is just so beautiful. We are stewards, right? And so, I think in the in the secular context, I th what I, I try to do in the please this doesn't work all the time even maybe some of the time I don't know, but just to point out like what is it exactly that I Tom Carroll did to deserve to be born right what, what by what merit do I deserve any of this, um, and I think most people can even from a secular standpoint non-religious standpoint perhaps can understand that that something about this is a gift something I didn't earn this I'm I'm not do it. Um, and perhaps if someone can understand something or can, can kind of accept something along those lines, maybe they'll start to go down the path of, oh, and maybe I shouldn't dispose of this. Like it's, you know, completely mine to, to do, do with as I please. Um, 
ultimately though if 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 someone is is um, more in the relativistic kind of you know or relativism kind of mindset um, it, it's a hard thing you know because it, really we've we've got this autonomy thing that's kind of just gone wild in our culture where whatever i want is what i should get and the old you do you i'll do me you know like leave me alone live and let i guess die in this case um is really it's a hard thing to counter and so i do think we need to go back to the basics back to the foundations of catholic uh, teaching and, and uh, anthropology and everything else and, and really help people understand where it is that we're disagreeing because i may not be able to convince somebody that i'm right but if i can at least if, if at the end of the our conversation we can understand where we disagree i think that is a success because that at least allows us to have a discussion and not just yell at each other or talk past each other thank you so much for coming on um we're going to have some links in the show notes that Dr. Carroll has provided. Um, if you're interested in more information, um, do you have any last words for our listeners? Yeah, I just, I really appreciate you having me on. It's, it's an honor. I'm, I'm humbled and uh, a little nervous here. I'll say in retrospect, but you, you're, you're very kind. And I really appreciate our, our conversation. This is a really important topic. One that's obviously close to my heart and what I do day to day. And I, I hope folks will, will just be aware of it. Um, and, and recognize that, um, that you know, we're, we're not responsible for what other people do, but we are responsible for how we respond to the world. And if we can just offer our love and support to those around us who are suffering, that is the best and all that, that we can do, I think all we're asked to do. Um, and I do think if, if we all can, if we all did that, if society did that, I think the desire for this kind of thing would almost entirely evaporate. Great closing there. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Capital Compass podcast. If you're curious or want to learn more about Catholic end-of-life decision-making and your legal options, please visit catholicendoflife.org or contact our office for a physical pamphlet of Now and at the Hour of Our Death. Although New York State-centric, the website offers resources for those living in other states. We want to thank Dr. Carroll for coming on the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be coming out with a new episode every other week. If you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to catch the latest from the conference, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NYSCatholicConf and on Facebook at NYSCatholicConference. Thanks again, and God bless.